Hello and good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are streaming this latest episode of Edie's Susty Talks. If you're new here, a big welcome. We've been hosting these since early 2020 and they are one-on-one -on -one interviews to help us stay connected to the sustainability conversation um, across the world. And for today's call, I'm calling Spain. Um, I understand and I have on the line long-term friend of Edie. I have Ramon, um, who is the Global Vice President and Chief Sustainability Officer for Ball Corporation. So thank you, Ramon, for taking the time. How how are you? How's everything going? Hi, Sarah. Nice to see you again. All good here. Uh, a lot of stuff going on on the aluminium packaging industry. Yeah, and, and lots to catch up with. So we're calling sort of between Climate Week and between COP, which means it's a good time to talk about, yeah, climate in the packaging industry. I understand that you were actually at, at Climate Week, if only for, for a little bit. So what, what was that like as someone that was very much sitting in the UK and watching it from a distance? So I, 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 it's the worst, this was the first time I, I went to Climate Week and I only went to the first Movers Coalition meetings where Bolly is a founding member for the for the aluminium uh, industry uh, first movers coalition, and um, I mean very ambitious. I mean the level of uh, ambition from companies, uh, you know, and the expectations is continues raising and raising. So very interesting conversations around uh, what are the levers, and and everybody is trying to really look at uh, levers from. You know, uh, all all 360 uh, space and 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 you know thinking very wide. Yeah, I did see that. I heard somewhere that it was the busiest climate week. And you, you mentioned first movers, and that's all about using new technologies and approaches to meet um, more ambitious climate goals. So maybe we can start by recapping. Um, on you guys' climate goals. I'm aware we haven't spoken in a while and probably some companies have updated them um, in, in that time. So our, our company, um, which basically, you know, we are, we are uh, the biggest um, uh, company on, on uh, aluminium beverage packaging. We also have aerosols, but also we have um, aerospace division and, and aluminium cups as well. And um, our uh, net zero uh, ambition is prior to 2050. You know we are going to publish um, later on a detailed roadmap and pathway on on where we are going to be achieving and where are the levers. So we haven't been too much publicly speaking um, about those until we have you know a, a pathway. But we've been you know we we've been manifesting that that uh, we have a, a a net zero goal. And then we have science-based targets already for a few years, um, going from 2017 uh, to 2030. We have a scope one and two, 55% absolute reduction, and we have a, a scope three, 16% reduction uh, that we will we're looking into into upgraded. So that is our 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 goals and. Um, we can then uh, later talk a little bit about you know where we where, where we think are the levers for for those goals if you want. Yeah, I guess that's something I would come on to because first movers, as I said, is all about yeah scaling new technologies and decarbonizing at like new and unprecedented rates in industries that are like high emission and and hard to abate. So it would be good to hear a little bit more about yeah where the main sort of buckets of emissions are for for the company and what technologies and processes are the key levers to to get those big reductions that you talk about so 
if you look at overall, what are our scope three emissions? Um, most of the emissions, you know, it, it, you know, around 75% or more are on the uh, aluminum that is, you know, scope three and, you know, mainly on, on that sort of raw material. And uh, aluminum in general is a uh, hard to abate uh, material. And, um, and that's why you have the first movers coalition, which basically is putting together the buyers of aluminum in order to provide demand signals um, to the primary producers so that they accelerate technologies. So in, in the first mover coalition, you have people like uh, Apple or um, Novelis, one of our suppliers, and us, and Novelis and us, we are the first, let's say, value chain collaboration. We're in this, you know, looking into, in, into this uh, together as, as a value chain. And, and the commitment is to commit to buy 10% of the primary aluminum needs by 2030, in line with a three kilograms of CO2 per kilogram of aluminum, which is, it doesn't exist today. You would need extra technologies, that which is why we are committing to purchase that aluminum, because then we would be, um, we would be creating demand signals to accelerate those technologies. These technologies can be um, inert uh, anodes, for example, which are uh, the anodes for smelting of aluminum to make aluminum. Uh, and then these anodes don't create carbon. They are inert and, and they produce uh, O2, see oxygen. So this is one. Um, and then there are other technologies, for example, mechanical vapor uh, recompression in alumina uh, refining. And also uh, there are other, other uh, you know, the, the technologies such as accelerating um, solar and other uh, non-fossil fuel uh, for the decarbonization of the supply chain, both in alumina and also smelting. So this is what we look at as, as the, let's say the FMC, but actually we think that primary aluminum is only going to be around 15% of our industry needs by 2030 because the rest is going to be recycled. And we are more or less now between 50-60% recycled aluminium globally. Recycled aluminium has 95% less uh, energy uh, intensity. Uh, and we, what we are looking into is, is that vision that we launched last year called the uh, 2030 Circularity Vision. 90% recycling rate and 85% recycled content by 2030. So we actually think that in order to achieve faster decarbonization pathways, it's much easier when you have a circular pathway and not a linear pathway. So a lot of our levers are actually more policy rather than technology, because for uh, achieving 90% recycling rates, you need policies such as um, deposit return systems, DRS, or extended producer responsibility, EPR. And this is, to be fair, 
what we spend most of the time uh, liaising with the industry, with the stakeholders, uh, with, with governments, with policymakers around how to design those systems in, in the best way. That makes sense. Um, and yeah, I'm, I was thinking when you talked about some of the work you're doing about the climate group, which hosts um, Climate Week, doing things like Steel Zero and Concrete Zero. So again, that's a way of getting the buyers um, on board to sort of ask the suppliers, you know, can you adopt these new technologies? Can you recycle more materials? Can you use um, less less materials? Um, and you mentioned that obviously policy is really important for getting recycling um, systems right. But somewhere else that we're seeing like green policy um, changing a lot since we last spoke um, definitely is on climate risk and, and climate disclosures. Um, I know when we've spoken before, you've spoken about yeah needing to have radical transparency um, on climate. So I was hoping to get your reflections on what we've seen in, in this space. So like in the UK, we now have TCFD. Um, disclosures in the US, I understand that the SEC is working on scope three um, disclosures as well. So is is this another policy lever that you guys are really looking at at the moment? Yeah, we are looking into, I mean, these are, are general uh, you know, po policies uh, that affect all the sectors. And, and of course, we're following them and we are looking at what is our strategy for being more transparent and report into that. Uh, we're also looking at getting more transparency from our uh, supply chain, so we can map the levers um, that we have in a much more granular way. We're looking supplier by supplier. We're looking sub-supplier by sub-supplier. We're doing regions. Uh, we're cutting the data into many different ways and, and having that menu of options to decarbonize. Now, we are really lucky in, in, in the sense that we have a, a, a product that is very easy to recycle. Aluminium melts at 660 degrees. And once you have a product, which is a homogeneous product, which is, is just pure, um, you know, basically a, 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 an alloy with very little of other elements, and that you can melt it at very low temperature, temperature that is half the temperature of steel or glass, then we realize that we have a, a much easier or faster pathway because we're not relying as much on those extra technologies that the other hardware-based sectors, and also including some some products in the aluminium sector, uh, will 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 need to will need to do uh, a pathway with, with with a linear approach because maybe because of product design or because collection policies, you know, they are not there. We really believe that with a homogeneous product, uh, like, like, like a can or like aluminum uh, cup, um, we have such an easier uh, pathway. And that's why once you get 90% of collection, you are going to get almost 90% of uh, recycling. So what we are really focusing on right now is on assessing where could be the mapping all the losses across the circular value chain. Just to give you an example and give you some numbers. So if you sort of see today, like what is the, the put of the market and you say 100%, today you have around 28% globally 
uh, of our products landfill and 6% incinerated. So you get uh, around 66% collected. That is the loss that we have now, and we believe we can close in 2030, pretty much. But then once it is collected, you only have 1% losses on from collection to sorting. You only have 4% recycling uh, losses. So basically today, 60%, 61% of our products are recycled. Uh, and 48% are recycled into the closed loop, can to can. Some other cans, they go to other sectors. So what we are looking is in how you can really create a, what we call a perfect circle, where your products can stay in the economy in perpetuity. And that has to do mostly with policies, basically because our recycling process is too simple, just melt it. I find it fascinating how clearly circularity is a climate story for your business, because we, we're hearing from other businesses that maybe they're finding it hard to make the connection and say like, oh, you know, without the collection, we won't get there. You can't just do it in a linear way and rely on on tech. So I don't know if you have any good tips for sort of like joining up the circular economy and the, the climate side of things to, to finish with, Ramon. The key is product design. The magic thing is product design, really. If you have, if you design your product in a way that is easy to sort out from the other ways, easy to, for the different parts to, to be separated, and then you have valuable materials with processes that, that are, you know, that, that are sort of uh, low cost compared to the value of the material, then it's so easy. And, and, and that's what we have with, with, with aluminium in general. Um, you have a homogeneous material, you don't have, you know, different materials mixed. And, um, and that's why I think, you know, product design is, is key. If you really, and, and it's, a, it's the hard part, actually, but, but this is where you have the most leverage. If, I, I really believe you cannot have a, 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 a circular strategy without challenging what is the you know, re, full redesign of your product. Great. Well, no pressure to anyone that's listening there that's selling, you know, multi-material um, products. So, Ramon, I think we're nearly out of time for our call today, but thank you very much for taking the time to um, to catch up with me. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Nice to see you.